Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, again this week, there's so much going on, and we're going to tie it all in to Bible prophecy. We sure are. We're going to talk about the Chinese leader Xi making a trip to Saudi Arabia. We're going to talk about Turkey in the news again, and also get an update on the Iran nuclear talks. Wow. There really is uh, so much every week taking place. And additionally to that, we're going to uh, also have Mike Delaprudi back, Pastor Mike. He's going to answer the question about puberty suppressors. Now, I know that uh, this is uh, sounds like a very difficult, and it is going to be a difficult conversation, but we're losing the battle for our children in our world today. But Rick, let's get started with Ken Timmerman. Ken Timmerman joins us today, as he does almost every week. He's our expert in geopolitical affairs, and we're lucky to have him with us, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me with you, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Well, for the last several months, a half a year now, or over half a year, we've been following the crisis in Ukraine, and there's a few updates this week. One of them was that Ukraine narrowly escaped a disaster with Russia occupying a nuclear plant. Well, the Russians have been inside this big Zaporizhia nuclear plant for several months now. They're actually operating the plant. Two of the six reactors are still online. But what happened this week was either an accident or a provocation. It's unclear, but there was a fire in a nearby forest that cut the electricity lines supplying the plant from a nearby coal-fired power plant. Now, you say a nuclear power plant is getting electricity from someplace else? Yes. They're getting backup electricity for the cooling ponds where their spent nuclear fuel is kept. And if they lose that backup electricity to the cooling pond, they could have a massive uh, meltdown that would make uh, Chernobyl uh, uh, look like just a practice run. So this was a, a potentially a big deal. The Russians finally got it under control. The fire was put out and the Ukrainians were able to shift to another backup power source diesel generators and another gas-fired plant. But this was something that happened on the ground. The International Atomic Energy Agency has been negotiating with Moscow for weeks now to send inspectors to this nuclear plant. Uh, They still haven't gotten there, but there's some word this week that they may be arriving uh, in the coming days. Well, as these dangerous hostilities continue between Ukraine and Russia, the, I guess I would call him the unofficial spokesman of the EU, uh, Macron from France, says that the EU is ready to support Ukraine for the long term. Well, we'll see. <laughs> he said that and he said just the opposite. So we'll have to see whether he really means it. Uh, the Europeans, uh, especially the Germans, are very, very worried about this conflict continuing because their gas supplies from Russia uh, uh, will go out completely, will stop completely in the first week of December. Obviously, it's the cold time of year. They're worried about uh, turning the lights off uh, and turning their heat off. So Macron is talking a good game here. He gave a video address to a uh, security conference in Kiev. He was staying in Paris when he did it. But we'll have to see. I'm I'm not entirely sure what he means. He talks out of both sides of his mouth, as uh, most politicians do these days. <laughs> well, staying uh, with this crisis in Ukraine, but uh, coming at it from a different perspective, I saw some news this week that said the tech company Google was going to quote unquote inoculate Eastern Europeans against disinformation. Boy, when you hear 
tech company, Google, disinformation, uh, I'm heading to the hills. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really, this is something you should be very, very concerned about. Uh, Google has announced this program called Jigsaw to pre-bunk claims about Ukrainian refugees, uh, especially targeting audiences in Poland and Slovakia and the Czech Republic, where there are so many of them, putting out video clips uh, designed to, quote, educate them about the types of psychological manipulation spreaders of disinformation might deploy against them. I mean, Rick, you should be very, very worried about this. All of us should be worried about this. When Google gets involved telling us what is true and what isn't true, uh, it's no b better than Facebook and, and Twitter censoring the Internet. Well, that's right. And there's nobody to, quote unquote, censor Google, is there? I mean, this is a very dangerous thing. And I mean, I know we can kind of laugh about fake news, but when you take a tech company that just basically becomes the extreme arbiter, that's a scary situation. It certainly is. And it reminds us of the Ministry of Truth, uh, the United States government, the Biden regime was had set up a ministry of truth to do the same thing, to filter, quote unquote, disinformation from the American public. Finally, uh, this past week, I think it was, they announced that they were going to disband it after they had been you know, facing just extreme, extreme criticism, not just from Republicans, but from civil libertarians. Well, we'll move on from that. Uh, I'd like to go to the Middle East now and talk about Saudi Arabia and on the heels of President Biden's visit last month to Saudi Arabia. We see that the Chinese leader Xi is heading to Saudi Arabia. First of all, with the benefit of hindsight, how successful was President Biden's visit? And then what can we expect from Xi's visit? Well, I don't think Biden's visit was very successful at all. Remember, he went there primarily to get the Saudis to step up their oil production, to reduce the price of oil on world markets and therefore the price of gasoline here in the United States. And the Saudis essentially blew him off. They said, we don't have that much excess production anyway. And besides, we will operate uh, within OPEC plus. OPEC plus means the OPEC countries plus Russia. So they're cooperating more with Russia and OPEC than with the United States. But this visit by Xi is tremendously important. First of all, it, it, it's going to be important for us to watch how he is being received by Saudi Arabia. Biden's visit was very low key. Remember, Biden went there critical of the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, and over human rights, viol alleged human rights violations. He had a fist bump. He didn't shake his hand. Uh, there was no big ceremony for him, as there had been for Donald Trump in 2017 when he visited the kingdom the first time. President Xi is going to get the Trump treatment in Riyadh. To me, this is a slap in the face to Biden. It shows that they have a greater respect for the Chinese president than they do for the current occupier of the White House. And just that comes against the backdrop of China having some natural disasters and just their economic problems. They continue to gain influence and they continue to be more successful at becoming allies with nations in the Middle East and having better relations than the United States does, don't they? Uh, they do. And one reason, uh, let's not forget, is that the Chinese have an enormous, an enormous amount of cash wealth they are ready to 
throw around up mm. to a trillion dollars mm. of cash reserves that they can use to invest in foreign countries, to buy influence, to expand this belt and road uh, network that they are setting up uh, around the world by investing in countries, uh, railroads and ports and airports and buying up mines and uh, mineral resources throughout Africa and the rest. So in Riyadh, President Xi will be talking about that. He will be talking about possible Chinese investments in Saudi Arabia, industrial investments in Saudi Arabia. Uh, they will also be talking about oil. Russia has now surpassed Saudi Arabia as China's number one oil supplier. This is something that doesn't necessarily make the Saudis so happy. So they may come to some kind of deal on oil, a reduction in the price that the Saudis are going to charge them or an expansion in the amount of oil. We'll have to see. But there are many, many, many issues they're going to discuss. Arms exports could also be on the table. One big one that's being talked about is whether the Saudis and the Chinese will come to an agreement for, the, for China to pay for oil in yuan instead of in dollars. I don't think that's going to happen. It is a real touchstone. It's a trigger. Uh, the uh, petrodollar economy is a trigger for the entire Middle East, certainly for the United States. If the Saudis were to go to payments in yuan instead of dollars, I think you'd see a reaction from the U.S. Treasury. So I don't think the Saudis are going to agree to it, but you know uh, she will at least talk about it. He'll mention it. Well, we'll keep an eye on that, but I'd like to finish our conversation by talking about Turkey. And this is the second week in a row we've had some topics about Turkey. Now they're negotiating with NATO to get their vote to allow Sweden and Finland to join NATO. They are, and they're having talks this week with both uh, the Swedish foreign minister and the Finnish foreign minister, uh, talks about the so-called security guarantees that Sweden and Finland had promised Turkey. Now, let's just decode that. It means Kurds. <laughs> when, when Turkey talked about security guarantees, they mean turn over to us Kurdish activists who are in your countries. The Turks are, are demanding as many as 73, quote unquote, terrorists from Sweden. Uh, the Swedes are thumbing their noses at them so far, but doing it a, a bit privately, sort of putting up their hand in front of their nose and then thumbing their nose at the, at, at the Turks. And uh, four of these so-called terrorists, the Swedes just granted Swedish citizenship to this, this past week. Uh, so now the, the Turks are falling back on their prior position where they had officially demanded the extradition of 21 Turkish citizens from Sweden and 12 from F Finland all of whom were PKK members who, as we know, the Turks are calling terrorists. By the way, the European Union no longer calls the PKK terrorists, but a national liberation organization. The city of Istanbul famously straddles the line between Asia and Europe. And it seems like the country and the government and Tayyip Erdogan, the leader of Turkey, is famously straddling the line between East and West still and basically playing both sides against the middle. They uh, This week, there are some stories coming out that they're not even worried about U.S. sanctions. Uh, well, that's right. And I would say that, look, the U.S. Treasury is threatening Turkish companies and even the Turkish government with economic sanctions because they are trading with Russia. They are allowing Russian oligarchs to operate out of Turkey to bring their uh, super yachts into Turkey. And the U.S. says, hey, you can't do that. That's violating sanctions. The Turks are saying back to them in public, we don't care. Go ahead and sanction us. 
you will pay the price for it in the end. This is a standoff for the time. We'll have to see where it leads. Well, Ken, as always, your wealth of information. You help us navigate these geopolitical waters. We thank you for doing that, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks so much, Rick. God bless. Well, we got to take a break, and when we come back, our Middle East news update with David Dolan, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Kramer with Mission Network News. Murders in Lebanon have risen 68 percent in July of 2022 as compared to last July. Suicides rose by 42 percent. The information comes from a Beirut research center. Pierre Hosni with Horizons International says many Lebanese can't provide for their families and feel trapped. Horizons provides food, medicine, and biblical counseling for people in Lebanon because they want to manifest God's love to every part of Lebanese life. And in the mountains of Ethiopia, there lived a group of about 6,000 people unreached by the story of Jesus. But a group of Christian church planters felt called to visit these people. Helen Williams with World Missionary Press says a team of three went to live among them. And then last year, a Christian leader visited the people to see how things were going. And a new church with 200 believers greeted him with song and showed him piles of burnt idols. Ask God to continue to strengthen this church. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. This segment is devoted to our update on the Middle East news. We call it the Middle East news update, actually. And to do that, we have Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Glad to do it, Rick. Well, I'd like to start off with some developments in the nuclear talks. And it seems like uh, they're moving closer and closer, but maybe not quite there yet. That's what we're hearing, Rick, from both U.S. and Iranian officials. They say that Iran has dropped a couple of its demands uh, after Israel, basically, Israeli officials who were visiting Washington. The National Security Advisor Ayal Hulata was there this week, and uh, the Defense Minister Benny Gantz arrived on Thursday, um, and they asked for these concessions from Iran. They were demanding, as we've spoken before, that the Revolutionary Guards be dropped by the U.S. as a terrorist organization, that that designation be dropped. And they were demanding that the U.N. stop its attempts to inspect sites where radiation has been detected, but it's not an official nuclear site, supposedly. So the U.N. wanted to look further into that. Um, the Israel uh, Iranians were uh, denying that permission. Now they've apparently agreed to those two things, but 
U.S. officials say there's still a few issues. They don't have the deal finalized, but it looks really close. Of course, this comes, uh, Rick, while the U.S. and Iranian proxy forces are actually battling each other. Up in Syria, we had a U.S. airstrike over the weekend last weekend against an Iranian-backed militia that had earlier attacked a U.S. base in the area in, in the middle of the month. And then on Wednesday and Thursday, the militias responded by hitting at U.S. targets again in the area with uh, rockets. Uh, One uh, American soldier was wounded. So all that's going on while just across the border, as it were, uh, or up in Europe, at least these talks are going on. Well, Israel's made clear, Rick, its position. Yair Lapid, the prime minister, pointed out that the deal, as it uh, as the details have leaked at least, would give Iran $100 billion of extra money to play with every year in the next 10 years as a result of the lifting of sanctions, which is what the Iranians really want in all of this. And uh, he called it a bad deal. Uh, Former Prime Minister Netanyahu went further. He called it a horrible deal, even worse than the first deal. He said it would uh, ignite a nuclear powder keg in the entire Middle East with everyone rushing to get nuclear weapons if Iran is allowed off the hook and, you know, able to develop it. So Israel's made its opposition plain. Lapid had been pretty reluctant to do that, Rick. He, you know, as the new prime minister, and he didn't want to offend the Biden administration, but the decision was apparently made this week to speak out bluntly and clearly against the deal. And those talks continue despite all of this uh, violence going on at the same time. And by the way, Israeli jets also reportedly struck again in northwest uh, Syria against some Hezbollah targets. And a leading Revolutionary Guards commander was reportedly killed earlier in the week in another Israeli strike. So the war between the wars goes on while uh, these talks of a new nuclear deal also go on. Well, David, Israel is no stranger to defending himself uh, against threats from without and threats from within. There are some reports coming out. I saw an article in the Jerusalem Post talking about how it seems like the attacks, and we just recently had that flare-up in Gaza, and again, we talk about it and link it to many of these proxies, these Iranian-backed proxies that could be boosted with this cash infusion if this deal goes through, but they seem to be becoming more militant, more motivated by the Islamic Jihad against Israel. Well, Rick, um, I used to speak about this with your father. Um, My 1991 book, Holy War for the Promised Land, predicted this very thing, that the hardline Islamic Jihad element amongst the Arab world's war uh, against Israel would continue to increase as a component. Whereas in 1948, uh, Nasser, the leader of Egypt, mentioned the Quran and quoted a few verses before he went to war. Saddam did the same thing later on, and others have, but they were mainly westernized, secularized Arab leaders, not really diehard uh, jihadists. But Hamas is Islamic Jihad. It's in their name. They definitely are, and Iran definitely is. And so if you have a big power like Iran with a lot of money, 
uh, and a determination to spread its ideology all over the world, but certainly over the region, which they've done, uh, having a militia in Lebanon, in the Gaza Strip, in the Palestinians. By the way, ISIS getting stronger all the time. And just an aside, Rick, there's concern that the um, ceasefire between Israel and Islamic Jihad may not hold. New demands are being made by Islamic Jihad. They are attacking Egypt for not uh, carrying through with delivering everything they thought they were going to get uh, in the ceasefire. So that's still tense there as well. And yes, the jihad remains a major motivating force in the war against Israel. The idea that there cannot be a Jewish state, the Jews cannot rule over Muslims. Those are stated in the Quran, those two things. And so uh, they will keep fighting in that vein. As we as Americans look at our role in the political movement here, and who are we to support in the Middle East, we need to make sure we understand the reality of what Israel is facing and the truth on the ground there in the Middle East, don't we? Well, we do, Rick. And I mean, it just strikes so many, uh, myself included, as, as weird, as crazy, that we're negotiating with Russia and China uh, for this Iran nuclear deal. They're partners to the deal that Biden wants to resurrect. I mean, what in the world are we doing uh, sitting down with Vladimir Putin and with uh, Xi Jinping right now? I mean, it's just crazy. And Iran continues to state its ultimate goal is to wipe out the United States and giving them billions hundreds of billions of, of dollars is certainly not going to prevent that. It's going to spur them on. They see the West as weak. They see Biden as weak. Uh, they think they're on a roll. And uh, this deal just only encourages that. And, and by the way, Rick, the one thing I always said about the first deal and the second, this is a major treaty they're talking about. It needs to be submitted to the Senate, mm. to the Congress, like treaties are supposed to be. There's no way, of course, it would pass there because there's quite a few Democrats and almost all the Republicans that oppose this pending deal. So Biden won't do that. But it's, again, a government by fiat, by diktat. And um, um, I think Donald Trump was right to cancel the deal. It was very, very flawed, and the new one is going to be flawed. But most importantly, it's going to give them all that extra money to funnel to their proxy forces and others to prepare ballistic missiles to continue on their program to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, the small Satan, and eventually to go after the great Satan, the U.S. Well, certainly something to keep in mind and to remember and to make sure that we know what is actually going on there. Well, well, my final question, David, a little bit more mundane, and I just want to kind of get into Israeli politics right now. We know that you have reported in the past that Israel has a temporary prime minister. Yair Lapid was made prime minister through a power-sharing arrangement, but they have called for new elections. Uh, our old friend Benjamin Netanyahu has come back onto the scene a little bit. I've heard him in the news here in the States. And uh, how is he doing? Does he have a chance to come back? Or, or what is the election looking like? I know it's a little ways off, but what's it looking like right now? Well, it's just over two months, so it's not that far off, Rick. And uh, it, the uh, three different opinion polls came out this week in Israel. They all show the Likud getting about a fourth. Of the Knesset seats, one says 34, one says 32, 30 would be exactly one-fourth. 
They show uh, Lapide's party. There's a future Yesh Atid getting around 23, 24 uh, seats. And the problem goes on because there will be 14 seats, 14 parties that make it into the Knesset, according to these projections. So again, coalitions have to be stitched together. Uh, Netanyahu is concerned by uh, a split amongst his right-wing supporters. Uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir, who is very much an advocate for rebuilding the temple, uh, polls show he would get nine seats if he runs alone, but if he runs with a, a religious Zionist party, it's called, uh, together they would get two more seats. Whereas if they run separately, the Zionist party wouldn't have enough votes. You need to get 3.25% of the overall vote to get into the Knesset in the first place. So um, Netanyahu's block, as it were, would fall under that projection. But Lapid wouldn't have uh, as many because uh, a number of those are kind of radical Arab parties that uh, he wouldn't go with. So it looks frankly, like we're going to have another stalemate. But of course, there's two months to go. The situation with Iran is heating up and who knows what could happen and uh, whether the elections will even be held in the in, in the current um, bubbling, <laughs> roiling Middle East. Uh, we'll wait and see. Certainly something to keep an eye on, only two months away. Uh, we'll keep that on the back burner and make sure we update our listeners as to any developments there. Well, thank you, as always, for updating us on all the developments in the Middle East, and we look forward to talking to you again soon, David. I'm happy to do it, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today Radio, but when we return, we are going to answer some of your questions that you have sent in. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Radio. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, from week to week, we get questions pertaining to the ministry or pertaining to our program or things that we say. And this week, we're going to entertain those questions. Yes, Jimmy, this is an exciting new uh, opportunity for us, and I'm looking forward to it. If you have questions, you can go to our website, scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, and you'll see where you can enter in a question, or you can go to our Facebook page. You still search for Jimmy DeYoung or Prophecy Today. You can become friends with us on Facebook, send us questions that way. Well, the first question that I have for us today comes from James. 
He says, and this is, let me read this. He says, my wife and I have been exploring what Jesus says about hell. Do you have any study materials that address the different places in hell or different terms describing the grave, places of demons, and eternal lake of fire? And whether or not Jesus physically went down into hell after the crucifixion prior to his resurrection as believed by the Orthodox Church. Um, And then James also has some nice words for us. He says, thank you for your continued ministry. We were blessed to attend a Bible prophecy conference with the late Dr. Jimmy DeYoung Sr. years ago. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Dr. DeYoung's love for the Lord was infectious. Through the conference, God's Word captivated our hearts and put an insatiable hunger for growth in Him. Mm, Good question, Rick. In fact, today... On our legacy series, this very question is going to be talked about, about the different aspects of hell. So I'm going to let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, our father, Rick, answer that question. Well, I look forward to hearing that answer as well. Well, the next question I have comes from Renee. Renee asks, is it known what country the Antichrist comes from? And she says, I know Russia, Ukraine, and Turkey are all involved in last day stuff, but do we know where the Antichrist comes from? That's a great question, and uh, it's, uh, I'm getting my Bible out right now, Rick, taking a look at that. And if you turn over, and a lot of people, there are some people, the, the Antichrist, the, the uh, little horn is talked about in Reve- uh, Daniel chapter 7, where it describes about that beast with the ten heads and the little horn that comes up. Uh, we get a description of the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13. And a lot of people, some have assumed that he comes out of the Islamic world because the Islamic world will come against Israel in the end times. That's Ezekiel 38. That's the nations and Gog of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38. Gog is a personality, but Gog is not the Antichrist. So where do we get the information pertaining to the Antichrist, and the nation that he comes from. Uh, And this goes to Daniel chapter 9, where it talks about uh, verse 26. After threescore and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come to to destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood. So this is pertaining, this is a prophecy pertaining to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. That temple that was standing, that General Titus of the 10th Roman Legion. So the people that come, the prince will come out of the revived Roman Empire that comes, it's talked about in Daniel chapter 7, mentioned in Daniel chapter 2, that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Daniel had a vision in Daniel chapter 7. That terrible beast with the ten heads, uh, destructive animal that will come on the scene. The little horn comes out of that. That is also referring, the ten heads refers to the ten toes of that statue in Daniel chapter 2, of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. So this is how we make the connection that the prince, little p, in Daniel 9, 26, that shall come. He comes from the people that destroy the sanctuary or the temple. In 70 AD, it was the Romans. So we do see that the Antichrist will come out of the revived Roman Empire. I know that's a little hard to follow, but hopefully it's uh, helping you to understand that as we talk about the Antichrist, we do have a place where he's coming from. He's not just coming from 
probably won't come from the United States. We know that's not the case. He's not going to come from the Islamic world. He's going to come from the revived Roman Empire, whether it be Italy. We've talked about this on the program, whether he comes from whatever that revived Roman Empire is at the time of Christ, which reached from England all the way to the Indus River. Uh, It could be any one of those countries that the Antichrist comes from. Hopefully that helps you, Renee. Thank you for sending that question in. And yes, those nations that you mentioned are mentioned in Bible prophecy. Well, that's a great answer, Jimmy. We do have some resources on our website and in our bookstore for those that want to take a deeper dive. And really, we love doing this. I know you love Q&A, Jimmy. And so if we have the opportunity, if you think about it, give us a call. If you'd like to ask our question, you can call our office at 423-825-6247. We'll get your question on the air, or you can go to our website, scroll all the way down to the front of the first page, and you'll see where you can submit a question. We look forward to hearing more questions and answering them in the future. Well, Jimmy, I know that you have an interesting conversation for us with Pastor Mike Della Prude. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this very topical issue, something that we are hearing about every day and we're having to learn and stay on top of it. So I appreciate you looking forward to this interview. Well, one of the things that we do on our program is try to alert the body of Christ to issues that they should be concerned about. You know, we, we're always concerned about issues, but there are some issues that are encroaching into the church, into our realm as parents, as youth pastors, as pastors of churches and different things like that. A good friend now who was on the program a couple weeks ago talking about transhumanism, talking about experimentation of mixing the animal and human DNA together, Pastor Mike Della Peruti. He's uh, been a pastor for 22 years. He's an adjunct professor at Shasta Bible College in California. He's written a book, which is what we're going to talk to him about today. But just to know that, you know, all of us can be involved in what's going on and understand and be able to stand in this time when we need real leaders that will stand because we're coming under attack. Welcome to the program today, Pastor Mike. Jimmy, thank you so much for having me. Yes, and you wrote a book that we talked about, and really, we had so many people that asked for your website, for information about you, uh, how to find this. After our first interview, I wanted to have you back because you wrote a book, The Danger of Puberty Suppression. How did you get into this? Well, about five years ago, I read an article that claimed some doctors, specifically pediatric endocrinologists, were prescribing drugs to gender dysphoric or gender non-conforming children as early as age eight. A gender non-conforming child is a child who identifies as something other than their biological sex. So just imagine a little boy who thinks he's a little girl. The argument goes, in order to provide a more convincing transition for him at adulthood, puberty suppressors are given in order to prevent the development of primary and secondary sexual characteristics Mm. in childhood. And the first time I read it, honestly, I didn't believe it. My impression was that this was a fabrication or conspiracy theory. So I fact-checked it, and I was shocked to learn not only is it true, but it's being practiced at an alarming rate, and it's being defended by claims that these things are safe, effective, reversible, medically necessary, and ethical. And those claims simply are not true. So I've taken the position of the watchman on the wall, And I've been trying to warn parents, teachers, the church, whoever will listen, 
about the danger of puberty suppression for the past five years. Well, what are puberty suppressors? The simplest way to define puberty, let's start there, is that it's a holistic transition from childhood to adulthood. Mm. And let me emphasize the word holistic. If you're a parent listening, listen closely. It's not like human reproductive organs develop apart from everything else in our body. Our bodies develop as a whole. Mm. And there are different ways to measure puberty, like when it starts and how it progresses. So I'm going to approach this from a chemical perspective, because as a child progresses through puberty, chemicals are released in their body in succession, and that's very important. Phase one is adrenal maturation. Listen, God created us with adrenal glands. They're located just above our kidneys, and they release androgens beginning anywhere from age six to nine in girls and seven to ten in boys. Testosterone is probably the most famous of the androgens, Mm -hmm. and yes, both males and females produce testosterone. Males produce it at a much higher rate, which is what causes males to develop more muscle mass and bone density, and that relates directly to transgender athletes, and we can talk about that in more detail at a later time if you like. Anyway, androgens, those are the things that cause oily skin, acne, body odor, hair growth, and that little bit of attitude that comes out of nowhere. And (laughs) they also play a role in reproductive development. But the point is, androgens contribute to the development of the body as a whole. Mm. And the release of androgens indicate that puberty is beginning. That's phase one. Androgens, bodies start to change. Phase two, that's gonadal maturation, beginning anywhere from age 8 to, to 13 in girls and age 9 to 14 in boys. And gonadal maturation is way more complicated than it sounds because, be honest, When most people hear gonadal maturation, they think of the gonads, testicles in boys, ovaries in girls. But this is where if you know a child who's considering this, if you're thinking about starting a child on puberty suppressors, you really need to do your homework because chemically gonadal maturation primarily affects the human brain. Mm -hmm. The development of, of sexual characteristics is secondary. Puberty suppressors mess with a child's brain, and you're never going to hear that in the popular narrative. So here's a quick anatomy and physiology lesson. There are two very important areas located deep in the middle of your brain. One's called the hypothalamus, and the other is the pituitary gland. When a child reaches phase two of puberty, gonadal maturation, the hypothalamus is activated, and it releases bursts or fluctuating levels of gonadotrophin-releasing hormone, GNRH. And these fluctuating levels, high, low, high, low, they act as a trigger, which causes the pituitary gland to release two very important hormones, follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. Those are called trophic hormones, FSH and LH. They work together with GNRH and the androgens to turn on the gonads. And they, in turn, the gonads, trigger the development of primary and secondary sexual characteristics that lead to reproductive maturity. That's what most people think of when they hear the word puberty. But in actuality, it's only the second of three chemical processes that cause boys to begin to look more masculine and girls to begin to look more feminine. Finally, phase three, 
the body increases production of human growth hormone, HGH. And this interacts with androgens and FSH and LH to produce a growth spurt in muscle, in bone, in organs, and in the body as a whole. And the final result is physical and sexual maturity. That's chemical puberty in a nutshell. So brief recap for your listeners. Phase one, androgens. Phase two, bursts of GnRH. Phase three, human growth hormone. Puberty Mm. suppressors interrupt phase two. So do not be deceived. They do not stop puberty as a whole. They interfere with one phase of puberty while allowing the other two to continue. And that's a problem because as I explained, this is a holistic process. Interfering with one part of puberty will permanently affect the entire body. So think of this as a house. A house consists of foundation, walls, and a roof. What happens if you remove the walls? Mm. That's the best way I know to illustrate <laughs> what puberty suppressors do to gender nonconforming kids. Were puberty suppressors developed for transgender children? No. And that's the issue. Uh, there is a right use of puberty suppressors, and there is an unethical use of puberty suppressors. Uh, the technical term for puberty suppressors are GnRH agonists. So remember, this relates to phase two. Uh, when hypothalamus release bursts of GnRH and those fluctuating levels trigger the pituitary gland to release FSH and LH, children as early as age eight, kids in phase one of puberty, they're being administered high levels of mm. GnRH agonists. And that happens to prevent phase two. These are synthetic hormones. They are not cheap. They affect the entire body, and they need to be administered on a regular basis for the next 10 years. These synthetic hormones essentially shut down the pituitary gland because instead of fluctuating levels of GnRH, you have a constant high level of GnRH, and it causes gonadal maturation to slow or to cease while allowing phase one and phase three to continue. And again, that's a big problem. And I'm going to stress this. Your body's a closed system. These are interrelated processes. Puberty suppressors don't just affect primary and secondary reproductive organs. They affect the brain, the bone, and organ development. And as though that were bad enough, now on a separate but related issue, there's cross-sex hormone therapy where preteen boys are being given supplemental estrogen and preteen girls are being given supplemental testosterone in order to develop secondary, secondary, secondary sexual characteristics of the opposite gender for the sole purpose of providing a more convincing transition later in life. Now, puberty suppressors were originally developed to treat a medical condition called precocious puberty. In precocious puberty, children as young as four begin to go through phase two of puberty. Their bodies release bursts of GnRH prematurely and gonadal maturation begins. So try to imagine a four-year-old girl getting her period. That's not healthy. It's not normal. And the long-term effects of precocious puberty are devastating. Mm. People who suffer from that disorder, they experience stunted growth, infertility, shorter lifespans. So puberty suppressors were developed to treat precocious puberty. When children are diagnosed with precocious puberty, say at the age of four, they're given regular doses of GnRH agonists. Remember, these are synthetic hormones 
designed to mask the burst of GnRH coming from the hypothalamus by keeping blood levels at a constant high, and they trick the pituitary gland into shutting down. So when a child with precocious puberty reaches the normal age for puberty, say between 8 and 10, doctors stop administering these synthetic hormones, puberty typically resumes, and many children with precocious puberty can lead more normal lives thanks to these drugs. And the point is, any study that claims puberty suppressors are safe, medically necessary, have no known side effects, have been tested and proven effective, or can stop at any time, are only referring to the treatment of precocious puberty. They have not been tested or approved for use on children who are gender nonconforming. This is ethical sleight of hand. It means it is not necessary to treat gender dysphoric or gender nonconforming children with puberty suppressors. It's actually an off-label use. Puberty suppressors are not approved by the FDA to treat gender nonconforming children. They constitute experimental treatment. And we are currently finding ourselves in the midst of one of the largest human experiments in history where children are the lab rats because no studies have ever been done to determine the long-term effects of puberty suppressors on otherwise healthy children, except one thing we can say for sure is that if you start a healthy male on puberty suppressors at age 10 and that child remains on puberty suppressors for five years and then changes their mind like Demi Lovato and says, you know what, I used to feel like a girl, but today I feel like a boy because after all, to use the world's terms, Gender is fluid. Mm. That child is going to be infertile. You have harmed that child by robbing them of ever having children. That's the danger of puberty suppressors. Wow. What can a Christian or, or a parent do in, in fighting this whole thing? What, what should we be doing? Well, that's a great question. First of all, you need to understand why this is happening. Maybe one of the most horrific aspects of all this is that children are really just a product. The younger a child is recruited into a transgender lifestyle, the more valuable that child is to the industry. And make no mistake, this is an industry. When you add up the money necessary to transition a child, including educators, administrators, counselors, social workers, nurses, big pharma with its puberty suppressors and cross-sex hormones and surgical procedures, every child is worth in excess of half a million dollars to this industry. Mm. And the younger a child is recruited, the more valuable they are. If childhood gender dysphoria goes away tomorrow, many people lose their jobs. So yes, you can expect them to be vocal about protecting a child's right to access off-label drugs. Second, the dirty little secret of childhood gender dysphoria or gender nonconformity is desistance. It's one crucial aspect that will not be addressed in the popular narrative, even though both sides acknowledge desistance is real. Desistance means if you take a gender nonconforming child, like a little girl who thinks maybe I'm a boy, even radical transgender health professionals like Dr. Spack, a pediatric endocrinologist from Boston Children's Hospital, or Dr. Zucker, who helped create the DSM-5 definition of gender dysphoria, even they acknowledge that in four out of five cases, if you just leave that child alone, the problem will resolve naturally. Conservative estimates are as high as 95% or higher. The only thing that will reduce that figure is gender affirmation. 
if you dress a little girl up like a little boy, if you change her name to a boy's name, if you force her to use the boy's room, or God forbid, if you start her on destructive puberty suppressors and cross-sex hormones, desistance rates plummet. That's called the looping effect. A recent study followed a group of gender dysphoric children through gender affirmation. About 70 children were given puberty suppressors. Out of those 70, you would expect a maximum of 14 to persist. That means pursue surgical transition, while statistically the rest should desist. That's 80%. In the end, you know how many desisted? Mm. Zero. They all proceeded to the next step of transition. This is a self-fulfilling prophecy. By forcing puberty suppressors on children, we are also forcing them down the path to a transgender lifestyle based on a self-diagnosis. LGBTQ activists in this industry have everything to gain by continuing to recruit and advocate for puberty suppressors. So what you're seeing is two worldviews collide. On the one side, there's a Christian worldview where we understand God creates male and female, a binary gender. On the other side is a secular view of humanity that considers humans to have evolved, and gender is a social construct, meaning it's created by humans and we can recreate it. Now, the common ground is that both sides recognize there's a problem, Jimmy. A GNC child, a gender nonconforming child, is not healthy. The solution from the secular side is to change the body Mm. so it matches their mind as much as possible, and that is not effective. Christians need to be able to to present a superior solutions, and we do have a right to speak to this issue. As Dr. King once wrote in his famous letter from uh, a Birmingham jail, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And Jesus Christ himself taught that not only are we created male or female, but teaching anything else to children is a destructive lie, and he had some pretty direct warnings <laughs> to anyone who would harm a child, you know? He sure so did. Christians need to, yeah, we need to, we need to take a little time to understand this issue. Uh, there are, the fact is, many children and teens with gender dysphoria have comorbid or contributing factors. Many of them have experienced sexual trauma as a child. Mm. Now, we don't know why sexual trauma as a child results in gender dysphoria, but it seems to be a major factor, and it's it's not disputed. Emotional abuse is another one. Children going through emotional trauma either directly from their parents or facing tension in the home tend to be more likely to experience gender dysphoria. Uh, a recent study has revealed that a surprising number of kids who identify as gender nonconforming are also testing high on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I want you to understand puberty suppressors won't correct any of those problems. They won't help a child who has suffered sexual trauma. They won't help a child who's facing physical, emotional, or spiritual abuse in a home. And they won't help a child who's autistic. Now, as Christians, there are things we can do to help these children. You know, but the church is going to have to really take a step of faith here. And on some, have compassion, mm-hmm. making a distinction. Others, saving with fear. And I would, I would tell you the three most important things the church can offer to parents of gender dysphoric children and to gender dysphoric children are time, 
prayer and a mentor. Time. This is not a problem that goes away overnight. Mm -hmm. It takes time. It takes patience. Prayer. You know, when a father brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus and said, your disciples couldn't help, Jesus instructed him, you know, this kind, he only comes out through prayer and fasting. Mm. And mentorship, a same-gender mentor, healthy friendship with an adult of the same gender is one of the best relationships, one of the best ways to help a child through this process by showing them that, you know what, you're a boy who thinks he's a girl because you like fashion. Listen, that doesn't mean you're a girl. That means you're a boy who happens to be artistic. Mm -hmm. And there are other artistic males who have embraced the fact that they're males. Mm -hmm. The church does not have to feed into this, into this popular narrative that just because a little girl likes to play sports, she might be a little boy. Mm. Wow, so much to think about, Pastor Mike. I appreciate uh, you delving into this. And I realize this is very intricate. There's a lot of information here uh, to think about uh, the dangers of what's going on. But we are in a war for our children. The fastest way, if, if Satan cannot affect us as believers, as adults, he attacks the little ones. And you're so right, Jesus was very uh, aware of any type of uh, attack on young children, um, wanting to protect them. Pastor Mike, uh, the book, The Danger of Puberty Suppression, uh, they can reach that. Uh, they can get the book on Amazon, correct? That's correct. Yes, uh, go to Amazon. And uh, Mike Della Perude, spell your last name, so they're going to have to, they're going to probably have to put that in there to find it. Sure, it's D-E-L-L-A-P-E-R-U-T-E. Yes, and Pastor Mike, thank you so much. This is tough. Hopefully you're a friend of ours now that we can come back and keep looking at this situation because we're under attack today. Our children are under attack, and uh, it's only going to keep continuing into the future. Thank you, Brother Mike. We appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for having me, Jimmy. Pastor Mike Della Peruti. What a very difficult but concerning topic for us to discuss today. You might want to listen to that one again. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. It's a series on hell, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. I want to remind you that this weekend I'll be in Chattanooga, Tennessee on Sunday morning at Church of the Highlands in Hickson, Tennessee with Pastor Scott McCurdy. Uh, looking forward to being there. And then Sunday night I'll be in Lafayette, Georgia with Pastor Damon Perry at Ridgeway Baptist Church. Love to see you at both of those. Uh, come out and say hi. And uh, we'd love to talk to you about the ministry, Bible prophecy. I'll be teaching on Bible prophecy. Rick, can you give out that number again as to where people can send in a question to us or call in and give us a question for the radio program? Sure, Jimmy. If you go to 1-8-PROPHECY-8, that's a 1-800 number. You can call that number or you can call 423-825-6247. 
Both of those numbers go into the office. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions about our products or if you would like to ask a question that we could then put on the radio program, we'd like to do that as well. Or it may even be easier for some of you to go to our website at prophecytoday.com and then scroll down to the bottom of the first page and you will see a place where you can submit a question. Again, that's prophecytoday.com. Well, in today's Legacy Series, we're going to continue our study on the subject of hell. Is it real and is it eternal? Last week, we introduced the subject by looking at the prophetic passages in the Bible, those prophecies that were given many years ago and have already been fulfilled. Bible prophecy given and fulfilled authenticate the Word of God. Jesus Christ had much to say about hell. In fact, he spoke more about hell than he did heaven. The Lord's comments on hell were in the form of prophecy. Today, Dr. DeYoung will discuss all the components of hell, and we're going to start in Revelation chapter 20. But first, a testimony. I was an 11-year-old boy in an 11-year-old Sunday school class in the basement of the Flagler Street Baptist Church in Miami, Florida. Our Sunday school teacher was Mr. Cripps. He spent 90% of his time controlling 11-year-old boys. But he concluded in December of 1951 his study with these 11-year-old boys, and he said this. If any of you boys die without Jesus Christ, you go to hell forever. That grabbed my attention. Go to hell forever. I didn't know all that I know today about hell then, but I knew enough that I didn't want to go there. And hell was a real place, eternal place. I knew that much even at 11 years of age. And so I looked at Mr. Cribbs. I said, Mr. Cribbs, I don't want to go to hell. What do I need to do? He gave me simply and plainly the gospel. I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior at that point because of hell. But you know, I've watched over these 60 years how the preachers behind the sacred desk put that subject to the side. With the emergence of easy believism, with user-friendly churches, with the emerging church, Let's don't talk about hell. This will put people in a position making them uncomfortable, and that's not what we're trying to do. So what are you trying to do, scare me? I said, yes, I am. With all the power I have, I want to scare you out of hell. So are you going to turn us off? Turn you off to what? Hell number three? There's only one place for a lost person to be forever, according to the word of God. How be it? There are those today, so-called Latter-day prophets, that tell us, hey, hell is not eternal. Hell's not eternal. God loves us too much. If you don't receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you will go there temporarily. But because of his love, he will bring you and give you an opportunity in hell to come to him and bring you out of hell. We need to get a handle on the reality, the truth of hell. We don't talk about it. Nobody wants to preach it. It's put aside. But we need to understand the truth of hell. Let me, let me give you a description. Go to the book of Revelation chapter 20. A description of three components of what we would understand to be hell or the eternal habitation of Satan and all evil angels. 
Here in chapter 20, we see the three different locations. Now, I, I, I just want you to be aware of what we are going to be looking at here because you maybe have heard of the bottomless pit, of Hades, of the lake of fire. You don't know how all that fits in together. So I want to endeavor to show you the description of how this is all going to happen. Chapter 20 of the book of Revelation is at the end of the tribulation period. Jesus Christ has returned. Remember our walk through in times, this is the rapture of the church. We're just here before that. The seven-year tribulation period, the return of Christ, and the battle of Armageddon. Then he's going to set up this thousand-year millennial kingdom. Before he does that, he delegates an angel uh, to do something very important for this thousand-year period of time. Chapter 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a chain in his hand. A great chain, and he laid hold on that old dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and bound him a thousand years. He binds him a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years shall be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed for a little season. The bottomless pit, that is the habitation of two entities, evil angels that we talked about last time together, who were those angels who committed sexual relationship with human women 4,500 years ago, as recorded in the book of Genesis chapter 6. They are put in this abyss, this tutorus, this bottomless pit, Second Peter chapter 2 verse 4, to be there until the time of their punishment. At the midway point of the tribulation, after the Lord sends Michael the archangel to take Satan and all of his evil angels and cast them out of the heavens down onto the earth. On the way down, Satan goes by the bottomless pit. This is chapter 9 of the book of Revelation. He opens that bottomless pit door and he allows these 200 million evil angels to come out and come down to the earth. I believe, and again, I said yesterday, we'll not go over this again. I believe that the bottomless pit is not on the earth because you couldn't have something bottomless here on the earth. But I believe it is probably most likely in outer space and one of those places that they call a black hole. Light can come towards a black hole. It's scooped in and you'll never see the light again. It's unbelievable, these black holes. In fact, scientists don't really know everything they need to know about it. But I would suggest that is probably the location in chapter 9 and verse 2, it talks about when the door is open to that bottomless pit, the smoke coming out covers the light of the sun and covers the air. That air, the same word in First Thessalonians chapter 4, we shall be caught up to meet him in the air. So I believe it's in outer space where this bottomless pit is. And that's the location where the evil angels of Genesis chapter 6 will have been for these 4,500 years. At the end of the tribulation period when Christ comes back at the battle of Armageddon Satan is going to be bound in that bottomless pit for a thousand year period of time so that would be the bottomless pit the word the best has been used 12 times in the scripture and you can do a word search on it and see the other ramifications of the bottomless pit if you'd like to now go with me over to chapter 20 verse 11 of Revelation and let me show you the next thing that's going to happen this is a record of the great white throne judgment. Look at verse 12. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, uh, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead, which were in it, and death and hell. Now, in my King James English translation, it says, uses the word hell. The word truly here is Hades. And so that's another location. Other than the bottomless pit, they're not the same. This is Hades. Hades is the temporary location for all lost people. All lost people will be there until this great white throne judgment when they will be caught up. They will resurrect. This will be the second resurrection. They will be caught up to come to stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment. Chapter 16 of the book of Luke tells us about Hades. I happen to believe that Luke 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, is not a parable. I, know any, I do not know any other parable that uses proper names. Lazarus, Abraham's bosom, and Moses are all listed as proper names in that passage of Scripture. Jesus never said it was a parable, never explained it as a parable. So I think it's a real story myself. Now, in light of that, it gives us information about Hades. Prior to the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all people uh, went to be in Hades. Look over there just a moment in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation. We'll come back, uh, excuse me, chapter 16 the book of Luke. We'll come back to Revelation in a moment. Chapter 16, notice what it says, verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And so there were two compartments in this place called Hades. There was a place of torment and the place called Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is a Talmudic term uh, that is used in Judaism. Abraham's bosom and paradise would be the location where people who are believers who are saints would go at their death. You do not remember, do you? I mean, I'm sure you do remember uh, chapter 23 of the book of Luke when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks to the thief to his side and he said to him, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. What happened is that all people prior to the resurrection of Christ would go into Hades those who were lost would go into the place of torment. Those who were saved would go into Abraham's bosom or paradise, as they referred to it, or a place to be kept temporarily until Jesus Christ resurrected. Chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, I believe, teaches he went into Hades. He there then gathered and took all the captivity captive into the heavenlies. And now the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. All of us that know Christ, we go immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ at our death. Our body stays on the earth. Our soul and our spirit goes immediately into the heavenlies. We take on a temporary body of some type. And I know that because John saw the saints in the heavens. When he was there, uh, after being taken there at uh, uh, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. And so now this place of torment is still there. And that's what's going to be called up. When we go back to chapter 20 of uh, the book of Revelation, that's what's going to be called up to stand before God. Chapter 20, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And so that's the second location in a description of uh, separation from God.
There's a third location, and here it is in verse 14. And death and hell, or Hades, were cast into the lake of fire. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 says, The lake of fire has been prepared for Satan, Antichrist, false prophet, and all evil angels, and it will be eternal. That's what God's word has to say, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41 and also in verse 46. So those are the three locations. You have the the bottomless pit, you have the place called Hades, the abode of lost people until the great white throne judgment, and then you have a lake of fire, which is eternal. Indeed, the lake of fire is eternal. If you die without knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your eternal destiny will be in the lake of fire. And it's not a temporary stay there. It is an eternal judgment. As I did over 60 years ago, please consider how Jesus has provided for all to escape eternal punishment in the lake of fire. Jesus died to take away our sins and give us eternal life. All we must do is admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior. One who wants to be saved will have to believe that Jesus Christ died for all of us, and all we have to do is call upon Him to save us. It's your choice, by the way, as it was mine when I was 11 years old, and ask Jesus Christ to save me. He'll save you also. Next week on the program, I will explain the conditions of eternal hell and tell you what Jesus had to say about hell. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. We're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Kramer with Mission Network News. Murders in Lebanon have risen 68% in July of 2022 as compared to last July. Suicides rose by 42%. The information comes from a Beirut research center. Pierre Hosni with Horizons International says many Lebanese can't provide for their families and feel trapped. Horizons provides food, medicine, and biblical counseling for people in Lebanon because they want to manifest God's love to every part of Lebanese life. And in the mountains of Ethiopia, there lived a group of about 6,000 people unreached by the story of Jesus. But a group of Christian church planters felt called to visit these people. Helen Williams with World Missionary Press says a team of three went to live among them. And then last year, a Christian leader visited the people to see how things were going. And a new church with 200 believers greeted him with song and showed him piles of burnt idols. Ask God to continue to strengthen this church. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries, I'm Ruth Kramer. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the Shepherd's Field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. 
Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, I think that's so important. As we look at Bible prophecy, there are a lot of websites out there. There are a lot of teachers, podcasts, video casts, video blogs, all these kind of things pertaining to Bible prophecy. Almost an abundance of events uh, on you know social media and the internet to help us to understand the times in which we're living. But it's more than just seeing all the events. It's how we use this information that's important. And does it motivate us to live a pure, productive life? Does it motivate us to understand the urgency of the hour? Does it motivate us to tell others about Jesus Christ? Because that's really what Bible prophecy is used for. But uh, this is the time of our program where we take a look at the book, when we take a look back at the events that we talked about today and see how it fits into God's Word. Jimmy, I like what you say there. It should motivate us. And, you know, we live in an age and a time where news just comes at us in so many different ways on our computer, on our television, on our phone, things popping up all the time. And if we realize that those things are setting the stage for future events that were prophesied in the Bible, it should motivate us. It should create a sense of urgency for us. That is true. Well, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today, Jimmy, we talked with Ken Timmerman at the beginning of the program, and he talked about Xi of China going to Saudi Arabia. And it's interesting because we do know that China is going to play a role in the end times. Isn't that correct? That is absolutely right, Rick. Revelation 16 gives us that information. Revelation 16, the kings out of the east that come in to Israel, they're going to play a role. They're, they're going to probably stay in place. But as we focus on them getting involved in these nations, Saudi Arabia, they're going to be a part of the alignment of nations in Ezekiel 38. Daniel 11, which uh, Ezekiel 38, of course, we've talked about those nations. That would be Russia, Turkey, Iran, uh, Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, Libya. These nations will come. Then you have Daniel 11, which would be the king out of the north, which would be Syria. We talked about Syria today and what's going on there and Iran's proxies making its way in and Israel's going to protect itself. The king out of the south, which would be Egypt. ISIS is still very much, Islamic Brotherhood is still very much involved. And then, of course, Psalm 83, which talks about those nations of the Abrahamic Accord that are going to turn against Israel. Once they're defeated at the very beginning of the tribulation period, that's basically the common denominator in all these nations is is that they're Islamic. 5-6, according to Ezekiel 39, 5-6 of the Islamic world is going to be wiped out. China will then come to the forefront. The river Euphrates is going to dry up, making a way for China to make its way for the Battle of Armageddon that takes place at the end of the tribulation period. So yes, Rick, that's why we focus on China, because as you said, there's no events left to take place before the rapture takes place. Events happening today are setting up events that are going to take place in the future. So interesting, too, Jimmy, that the nations that you talk about, and uh, and as we go through it, and we talk about these nations pretty much every week, but you look at Turkey and China and Iran 
and Russia. All these nations that are in the news right now are the nations that are going to be the main players for different reasons, but all for they're all pivotal in the world today and in the world of the last days as well. And you mentioned the Islamic world as well. Interesting to see that with our talks with Dave Dolan, that Islamic jihad seems to be on the rise against Israel in the Middle East, doesn't it? Yes. You know, the best way to infiltrate uh, a nation to bring it down is from within. When we all know and we can defend our borders, that's one thing. But when the borders are basically a sieve and Islamic jihad organizations are making their way inside the borders of Israel, that's a more difficult fight. And it's coming increasingly every day. uh, We see different organizations really uh, from the nation of Iran with its proxies feeding these Islamic Jihad Brotherhood in the Gaza Strip. I think Dave Dolan said it's the war between the wars (laughs) that's taking place on a daily basis. And we need to continually watch that, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, uh, scriptures tell us, and we need to be praying for that peace of Jerusalem. And that only comes when Jesus Christ returns to the earth. But until that time, Unfortunately, there's going to be a future Holocaust where two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to be wiped out in the future. Another interesting conversation with Pastor Mike De La Prude. I know that's a concept that many of us are having a hard time dealing with, having a hard time understanding. Just to be honest with you, Jimmy, some of the things that are going on in the world today really don't make sense to me, and I'm sure they don't to you as well, but it does seem to be a war on the family, doesn't there? Yes, and this is a strategy, again, we're talking about infiltrating from within. Um, even within our churches today, we're having to be very—some uh, churches are being very cautious, and I think what Mike said, you know what, in love, in a uh, a mentor, uh, some of us older folks, we can still be a mentor to young men and young women. Uh, we need to stay involved. I don't like it when senior citizens of the church uh, in our congregations are put to uh, a different section and, you know, they take away that the years of wisdom. We have wisdom. We have knowledge. We've been through it. We need to stay involved and using that aspect, understanding that the struggle is going to get much worse before um, it gets better. That's Bible prophecy. When we look at Jesus Christ and his return, that comes after seven years of tribulation, 21 judgments on the earth designed for those people that rejected Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, that's taking place after the rapture of the church, which is the next main event. Before the rapture, Man, our world can get bad, but it's going to get way worse before it gets better. Well, that's so true, Jimmy. And I do like what you said. You talked about sharing the truth in love. Keep that uh, in the forefront, share as Christ did and as Christ would have. But I also, Jimmy, want to take a look and, and say these things that are taking place, these things that are going around us that should definitely give us a sense of urgency, uh, motivate us to share the gospel with the world. That's right. Remember our first priority? The very first thing that we should do is glorify God in all that we do. If we don't glorify God, nobody's ever going to listen to the words that we say about salvation. So in our lives, let's glorify God. Let's understand the urgency of the hour, examining 
uh, world events in the light of God's prophetic word. It was given to us so that we might know and understand the times in which we're living. Rick, thanks so much. I'll talk to you again next week as we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Folks, with everything that's taking place, we do need to keep our eyes on the heavens. Let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.